Well, I don't have a blanket, but sure, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Merry Christmas. Good morning on this Christmas morning. I want to start today by telling you a secret. You have to promise me you're not going to tell anyone this. Kind of ironic. You online as well. Don't tell anyone. But I really like the movie, You've Got Mail. I really like it. It's funny watching it now. It was filmed in 1998, but it's funny watching it now and seeing how electronic communication has progressed, if it's progressed, I guess. And maybe that's for another message, but... I know this film starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan is what some people disparagingly call a chick flick, right? I would never call it a chick flick, but others would. (laughs) I'm seeing the heads nodding. My friend Rob Fringer, our friend Rob Fringer would say, Jeff, that's really hokey. That's what he would say. But I love the movie because there's so much redemption in it. And the things that really matter in life in different ways important scenes in that whole movie, things that really matter in life, clarifying moments are exposed, and there are a number of noteworthy lines. But there's one scene for me, the whole movie hangs on this one scene. It's the heart of it. The book Tycoon, if you know the plot, is a guy by the name of Joe Fox. Him, his father, and his grandfather have built this mega store, bookstore kind of conglomerate. And And they build this this big mega store in the Chelsea part of New York City, and uh, it's, it's built right across the street from a little boutique shop called The Shop Around the Corner, owned by one Kathleen Kelly, played by Meg Ryan. So Tom Hanks' person, Joe Fox, begins this conversation, and in the middle of a conversation, when they're talking about the fact that for all intents and purposes, the megastore is putting this little boutique shop out of business. And he looks at her and he says this, well, it wasn't personal. And she responds, what is that supposed to mean? I'm so sick of that. All that means is that it wasn't personal to you, but it was personal to me. It's personal to a lot of people. What's so wrong with being personal anyway? And he kind of steps back and goes, well, uh, a nothing. And then she gives the line of the entire movie. 
Whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. Whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. Whatever else Christmas is, and there's an awful lot about Christmas that we've attached to it, a lot we've attached to Christmas. Whatever else Christmas is, it ought to begin by being personal. We read this Christmas story and things emerge out of it. We, we read these words from Luke's gospel and you know what we see? We see historical validation. The gospel writer sets the entire birth narrative in the actual timelines and actual people and actual places of history. And that does something. It doesn't allow us to nestle comfortably in this story as a simply feel-good Christmas fable where all we do with it is we just try to be nice to each other once a year. No, this reminds us that God actually, factually, intentionally invaded earth. But this is more than history. Because whatever else Christmas is, it ought to begin by being personal. We also read these words and we may come away feeling really good about it and we say, you know, Jesus is going to be the answer to all my problems. And we make Jesus into our Christmas gift that helps me in the anxieties and the difficulties of life or he could help me feel good about myself or he can give me happiness and joy and peace or he can help me fulfill the plan for my life. How often do we say that to people? God has a plan for your life or he can give me all those things. And all of that could be true. I know for me that when I came to Christ, there's such a demarcation between before Christ and after Christ in my life. I know that when he came, he altered the way I viewed the world, the choices I made, and the things I valued, and that changed, that altered, that transformed my life. But this is more than a life improvement plan. Because whatever else Christmas is, it ought to begin by being personal. Or maybe we view this entire story and we look at all these amazing characters in this story. We've been talking about a number of them. And maybe we say, look, here's our example on how to live. These are teachable moments with teachable people and we see how all the characters demonstrate traits like devotion and compassion and sacrifice. They're modeling what it looks like the best it could be to be human. And yes, we can learn much from their examples, but, but this is more than a teachable moment. This is more than just an example. Because whatever else Christmas is, it ought to begin by being personal. And it does. I can tell you what Christmas is about. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, the Christmas story does not allow us to simply treat this as 
historical fact, which it is. Or life improvement, though it does. Or as an example of courage and compassion, which it can be. But this is what it does. It enables us to believe that this Savior and this story and this salvation that we all sing about, talk about, declare, is our own. It's yours. It's mine. It's been given to us. And that is how the Christmas story operates. It really doesn't operate in all those other things. It it operates, you see what God does? God takes this all very personally. He takes it personally. It's what the book of Romans says in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. That's what that word means. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes And isn't that what the angel said? Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. God takes this very personally. So this is good news for you. And and if you look closely, all those pronouns, they are personal plural pronouns. So this is good news for you. And as they say in my home country of New Jersey, this is good news for you guys. We are enabled by God, get this, we are enabled by God to believe. You can't manufacture that on your own. I can't either. But we are enabled by God to believe and to receive that which we so sorely need and what we want, even when we don't know it's what we want. The bigger point is this, J.D. Greer writes, when you come to know Jesus, he gives you something far greater than the answers to life's problems. We all want answers to life's problems, but he gives us something far greater. He gives you himself. And he is even better than what he does. Hear that again. He is even better than what he does. You may be looking for a solution, but God gives you something even better He gives you relationship with him. You know, one of the things that Christmas advertising does is it plays on our worst fears. Just plays on them. The fear of not belonging. The fear of not having enough. The fear of missing out. The fear of not being something or someone. But that advertising also plays on some of the deepest, most noble and human desires we have. Good and healthy desires that God has placed within us. Desires for security, for meaning, for self-value, and for acceptance. It makes these ancient words from St. Augustine seem so contemporary. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You have made us, O God, for yourself. And our hearts are restless. They will be restless. They will continue to be restless 
We'll try to fill our restless hearts with anything we think that will give us rest, but they will stay restless until our hearts are at rest in Christ. This is what God is saying to us at Christmas. That's how personal God gets. That's why God takes this so very personally. As others have prayed, we should pray. Oh Lord my God, tell me what you are to me. Tell me what you are to me, God. That's a good prayer. Say to my soul, God, I am your salvation. Say it so that my soul can hear it. My heart is listening, Lord. Open the ears of my heart and say to my soul, I am your salvation. And now let me run towards this voice and seize hold of you, O Christ. My friends, this is such good news of great joy. We can seize hold of God because God has come in Christ to grab hold and seize hold of us and hold us. But the angel said to them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. A Savior Christ the Lord is born. Christ is personal because God gets personal with each one of us and all of us. Elsewhere, describing what this is all about, the great apostle Paul, St. Paul writes these words to Titus, a young pastor. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Hear that. When the kindness and love of God appeared, hear that again. The kindness and love of God appeared. He saved us. Not because of all the righteous things we've done. Not because of who we are, what titles we have, or what we park, or what we deposit, or or what we think is so grand apart from him. None of that. But because of his mercy. Thanks be to God for the mercy of God. You know what grace is, right? Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. And you know what mercy is, right? Grace is not receiving what we do deserve. Because of his great mercy. You see, we read in Luke chapter 2, we get this really warm feeling when we hear, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. We read Matthew's gospel and suddenly we are no longer alone because you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We read, we hear what Mark read so beautifully for us this morning from John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we realize, we know that God gets us, God gets it, he understands us, and he has lived in our human experience. But you read when kindness and love of God appeared and they report the personal side of the christmas story in jesus we are given the love of god perfectly wrapped himself but you know like any other gift it remains nothing our tradition in our household on this day and really probably being a pastor with an occasional christmas on a sunday helped this fuel or probably the Our wisest and eldest daughter came up with this idea that we would open our Christmas presents at the end of the day. So we don't open them until the evening. 
makes for a long night. That's, why, that's when we eat all the stuff we shouldn't be eating. There's a, there's a bunch of gifts underneath our tree to be distributed later. They look beautiful. They're great. That's because I didn't wrap them, right? If I wrapped them, they'd be all crunchy and, you know, they'd look kind of messy. Probably newspaper. But that's all they do. They just look beautiful. I'm sure that inside those boxes, in fact, I know inside some of those boxes, are things that are going to bring joy, function, things that are going to make sense in some parts of individuals' lives, things that are going to be remembered and used for time going on and on. But for now, they're just beautiful-looking boxes and gifts that actually mean nothing. And Christmas is like that. In Jesus, we are given the love of God perfectly wrapped. But like those gifts under my tree and probably yours, they remain nothing. Just a box with a bow that does nothing. Serves no real purpose. Has no impact on our lives until we open it. So you know our trimming, our wrapping, our bows, our tape. All that Christmas talk, all those Christmas carols, all that Christmas truth we talk about leads to this question. Will you get personal with God or not? The God who has made it personal and takes this personally. Because whatever else Jesus is to us, it ought to begin with him being personal. And so, today, a Savior has been born to you, to Lucia, to Stephen, to Butch, to Dottie, to John, to each one, Alfio, Roger, Cindy, a Savior has been born to you. That's how personal he gets. I know it sounds crazy. I know that most of the time Christmas we just spin our Christmas holiday. We spin it around and we spin it around and we just get our way through it and we kind of forget what this really means. And we look and we think in our minds, really? I mean, like a virgin conception and a baby born who saves the world? Sounds like more fable than fact. But as we've realized, the story doesn't let us have that option, really. But it does sound crazy that God would make this so personal, take this so personally, that God would be this personally interested in each one of us. But words I shared this past Wednesday in our word and prayer bear repeating, how absurd is it that God chose to send Jesus? How absurd is the love of God, the kindness and love of God that appeared? How absurd that is. Then and now. But the master storyteller, Max Licato, helps me. 
It is inexplicable. It doesn't have a drop of logic nor a thread of rationality. And yet, it is that very irrationality that gives the gospel its greatest defense for only God could love like this. Only God. A God with tears, a creator with a heart. God became earth's mockery to save his children. How absurd to think that such nobility would go to such poverty to share such a treasure with such thankless souls. But he did. The only thing more absurd is our stubborn unwillingness to receive it, this gift. My friends, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christ has come. Salvation has come. Hope, peace, joy, love has come. We have been given Him. And when we have Him, we have enough. Because when we have Him, we have everything. Everything we need for life and godliness. Thanks be to God for the God who made it personal and takes it personally. That is our God. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. and We're going to close in singing I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. It was on Christmas Day in hearing those bells that the poet wrote these words. You know the story, Longfellow's story. His wife had died just a few years before, tragically. Son was injured near mortally. The Civil War was raging and he was so against the bloodshed. We don't sing all the lyrics of this song, but he sings about war and he sings about death and he writes about pain. But it was on Christmas Day when the bells began to ring that he realized that there's one who's greater than it all. I don't know where you've walked necessarily. Some of you I do. Some of you have walked through cancer treatment or questions. Some of you have walked through the death of loved ones in recent weeks, months. Some of you have welcomed grandchildren. Some of you are on new adventures. hear this today. God takes all of that very personally. So much so, today reminds us He wants to meet you and me and us personally wherever you find yourself. Wherever it is. So when you hear the bells, when you sing these so this song, Remember, 
He has given us Himself. And it's in Him we can do all things. Amen? Merry Christmas. Let's stand together.